Uh, are you ready? Here's how it's going to work today. Uh, I would like to teach for a few seconds, a few minutes, a few minutes, a few long minutes. Uh, and then I want to illustrate something for you that uh, my grandfather-in-law taught me 18 years ago, maybe. And um, then, if it's okay, I want, I, want, I, want, I want to preach. Can I do that? Amen? Brothers? Sisters? Okay. All right. Preach it. Thank you. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, bring it. That's another phrase you can use. All right? That'll be fine. Now, feast your eyes on this passage from the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. This is verses 20 and 21. Now to him, would you like to take a guess who him is? Come on. It's God. Okay, that's very good. This isn't like just some random, that guy in your church. Now to him who is, what's the word? Able. Thank you. So we're describing God as someone who is able it's redundant. The name of God simply is just like, dude, I created everything. I'm able. So Paul amplifies. He's able to do immeasurably more. Now, I didn't take Greek and I failed Hebrew, but let me just tell you, immeasurably in the Greek is quite a compound word that I'm not going to even go for, but it's only used twice by Paul. So he's not just throwing this word around like we do with certain words we use to describe God, really picked this one carefully, placed it in the letter, and only one other time, I think in the Thessalonian letter, he uses this word, but this is it. And he's describing God as this God who can do that kind of thing, like immeasurably more, he says, than all we can ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within, this is a key word, what is it? Us. Not you or me, but us. This is very key. To him be the glory in the what? Church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And we all say, amen. Now, two things. The word immeasurably is a common theme in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He uses almost from verse 3, perhaps. I think it's verse 3 in chapter 1. He starts using this language of affluence, wealth, and riches, but not in terms of money, but it's about like God's uh, richness of grace and mercy. But in this case, it's about what God can do. Like it's just, it's immeasurable. All right? So there's a, there's a theme of affluence in the language of the letter. Uh, and in this case, it has to do with what God is capable of and what he can do and so on. Secondly, this is, of course, a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he planted in this Asian city of Ephesus. Uh, he spent some time there. If you read Acts 20, it's his departure. It's a long chapter about Paul leaving Ephesus. So he spent some time there, invested in these people. And of course, like he did with many of those churches, he corresponded. Uh, and in this case, he did it through a letter. And we have it in our Bibles, the Ephesian letter. And it doesn't read like a letter that Paul normally writes. It reads like this kind of free association, sermon, poetic. It's rhythmic. It's got some cool phrasing in it. And it's just different. But this piece is interesting because verses 20 and 21 are actually the end of a prayer that starts in verse 14. So Paul prays for the church. The letter is six chapters long, but in the middle, almost the very center of the letter, he not, not only prays for the church in Ephesus, he writes the prayer down. And he's going to deliver the letter. He's not going to deliver it personally, but he's going to send someone with the letter. And he writes this letter to the Ephesians while he's uh, 
on house arrest in Rome. So to get to Ephesus from Rome is a long time. And so not only is he praying for the church from a distance, he records the prayer in real time perhaps, writing it as he prays. And then he's going to package this thing up and send it to this church in Ephesus well after the fact. So he prays the prayer and they get the letter who knows how long after he wrote it down. It's just interesting. It's like he's praying for them. They're not with him, but he wants to let them know that he's praying for them. And here's the words of the prayer that have already transpired. The closest thing I can think of is, other than actually doing that to someone now, I have learned to grow comfortable with, it was totally awkward at first, but praying with people on the phone. Has anybody ever done this? One. Okay, good. Uh, Maybe that was with you and me. I don't know. But... um, but people will call and they talk about things and whatever. And I, I've just learned to be comfortable with saying, hey, before we hang up, let's just pray for you. Maybe you're in another city or they're, they can't be here or whatever. So I'll just pray with you on the phone. I recommend it. It's really a, a strange experience. Because you don't know what they're doing on the other end. They're like, okay. Like the first time somebody prayed for me on the phone, it was weird. I was like, okay. <laughs> what do I do, you know? So I assume they're doing the same thing, and, or they're updating their status, like praying with Derek on the phone uh, while I'm just pouring it out. But there's this kind of separation, like I'm not with you, but I'm praying for you. Uh, and so this, in a sense, is similar in, in a way that he doesn't get to experience his prayer for them with them. But what I find more interesting is that Paul includes the prayer in the letter, and so therefore it's important enough to him that this church in Ephesus, like, see the words that he prayed for them. Now, in the prayer, and again, this is a, the end of a larger prayer, but this piece here, does anybody know this verse? Have you seen this before? Churches used to use this for, like, uh, growth campaigns, like, we need to grow because God can do more. Um, and I suppose that, that works, but what Paul is talking about is something quite different. Now to him who is able to do, there's the word again, immeasurably more than all we, and this is the part I want us to focus on for a second. He describes in the prayer two kinds of faith. And you may fall into one or both of these at times. But he describes a kind of faith that is an asking faith, an inquisitive faith. And then on the other side of that, uh, he describes an imaginative faith, a faith that dreams. And so a, uh, a faith that asks and a faith that dreams, and you may fall into one or both of the others, or one or both of them uh, throughout your lifetime. But uh, I like the story in, uh, you don't need to turn there, but uh, in Nehemiah chapter 1, if you're not familiar with the story of Nehemiah, it takes place 400 and some odd years before uh, the life of Jesus. And if you know much about uh, the ancient Near Eastern history at that time, Jerusalem, the city, was a pile. It had been destroyed. It was sort of laying in ruins. And Nehemiah is one of the exiles, and he's not in Jerusalem, but he's uh, in a foreign land, and he's growing up, but he's actually working quite well. He's moved his way up into uh, the government, the political system. He's working for the king, and in fact, he's the cupbearer for the king, which simply means that when they bring the king dinner, he tastes the wine first to, to see if it kills him. <laughs> it's a great job. He's sort of like ancient TSA without all the awkwardness. Um, he's the homeland security for the king, and so he drinks the cup, and if they, I guess they all wait. He didn't die. Let's eat. So that's kind of how they do it. And uh, so not only is he putting his life out there for the king, the king obviously has a 
an indebted relationship with Nehemiah. So Nehemiah's close with the king. And then, but Nehemiah, check this out in verse uh, 3 of chapter 1. It says, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, talking about Jerusalem, they're back in the city, are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem, or the wall of Jerusalem, is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. So this is the report that Nehemiah gets, like our city is, these are the first reports from the field, like it's bad, it's really bad. So verse 4, he says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, and like Paul, he records his prayer for us. He says, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive, like hear me, and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying. So he begins his prayer by basically asking God to hear him. He closes it saying, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to this prayer that your servant is praying, the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He's talking about the king because he's going to go talk to the king. So he's like, God, I just need to be provided for here. This is a faith that asks. You just ask. Jesus says it this way. Ask, <laughs> and you, it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find, and knock, and the door will be open, right? He invites us to ask. In fact, I love this. Uh, in, in Matthew 5, verse 3, it's the first teaching of Jesus. So here's Jesus on the scene, the first teaching. This is what he says. Blessed Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the beginning. What are the, who are the poor in spirit? First sermon I ever preached in this church was on that verse. Uh, I stood up here with a cardboard sign that said, need help. That's the, that's the image we get when we think of poor. We think of exit ramp, cutout box, sharpie, need help, God bless. Now that, like to get to that point, there are steps. But to get to, get to the point where you go, you know what, forget it, I'm just going to beg. That's, like a, that's a place in your life where you say, I don't really care anymore, I just have to beg. And it's that kind of faith that Jesus says is blessed. Blessed are those who like come to God and say, I got nothing. I'll take anything you have. Your spare change, your spare grace, your spare mercy, your spare love, I'll take it. Poor in spirit. Someone who never sees themselves as rich spiritually, but is always in the red. And what does a poor person do? He asks. He begs. He pleads. Paul says there are faiths that ask. And we're called to ask. We're called to to come to God and just like come to him and say, God, if you would do this, if you would provide for this, if you would have mercy on them, if you would be this, if you would comfort, if you would, et cetera, et cetera, we just ask. And it's okay. Some people feel guilty about asking God for things. But Paul says in another letter, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer 
and petition, which is asking, bring your requests to God. Do it. And we say a lot in the church circles, like, there's nothing too small and nothing too big that you can ask God. That's true. Because if something's too big for God, by the way, new God. Got to get a new God. So Paul talks about this faith that asks. And you want people in your life who can ask. Uh, If you need something, prayer, you kind of don't want a dreamer. You don't want an imaginative spiritual person at that point. This is going on in my life. Can you pray for me? Ooh, here's what you need to do. No, 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 no. I just need you to pray for me. I don't need your ideas. I don't need your dreams. I don't need your strategies. I need, I need to ask her. Does this make sense? And we need to develop that part of our faith. But then, again, there's a, there's a piece of faith that it is imaginative. It's, again, it's Nehemiah. I love this. It's quite optimistic. He goes to the king, chapter 2, and the king says to him, why does your face look sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. So they know each other that well to where the king can look at Nehemiah and go, something's not right. I can see it in your face. And then Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Always a good opening line when you need something. You're awesome. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Check this out. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Just a side lesson, always pray the transitions. Oh, before I move to the next step, pray, pray, pray. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, check out how imaginative this is. It's just Nehemiah, by the way. He's got no plan, no strategy. If it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Uh He's imagining a different story. I mean, Nehemiah is worth the read for all sorts of reasons, but this right here, this faith that doesn't just like trust God to provide, but it dreams says, I can, like, this is the kind of faith where uh, people go to God and say, God, uh, I've been thinking, what about this? What if this could happen? What if this could take place? What if you could move here? What if you could actually do this? We need that kind of faith. There's the day-to-day daily bread, like, ask, give us today our daily bread. But then there's the imagine piece, like, wow, what if? Are you with me? All right. So my grandfather-in-law says, where's my spoon? He's a farmer, so this works out well. I need to ask God something, so uh, I'll work on the request. This is all I need. It's just daily bread. Right, And then I bring this to God and I ask. Or I'm dreaming. I'm like, oh, what if, what if we could do this? Right? 
for all the uh, type A live on a graph spreadsheet, this is called imagination. So don't try to like figure out the illustration, just go with me here. This is poetry right here. So I build this idea, this represents the idea for those of you. And I, and I go, okay, God, this is what has been in my heart for years. Like, every time I drive by this or I talk to this person or I read this, I, this is what comes to me. So this is what I'm imagining to be. Or, here is what I can give. Okay? That's all I got. Let's just say I'm full out. This is 10% of my income. And uh, I, I give this to you. Why? Because he calls us to be giving people. So I, I give to you. Now, my grandfather-in-law says, you give God a spoonful, and he does that. It's almost like he's standing there you know, just picture someone here holding this. I had a volunteer last service, but it went, it went weird. <laughs> and God comes up to me and he goes, he's looking at my spoon and he says, really? Proud of that, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it's not, I mean, he's not condescending. He's just like, wow, he just understands. And Paul seems to get that for many of us, this is all we can see. That's all we can imagine. This may be the biggest thing. I mean, this may be like, let's just put it on like a massive scale. This is me saying through God's work at Christian Church Buckhead, the city of Atlanta is restored spiritually, emotionally, socially, economically. That's huge. But to God, it's not that big. Does this make sense? This is what Paul is inviting us into. Is like, it's not that this is bad. This is just all we can see. And with God, it's immeasurably more than we can ask for. Because we would never ask for all that. We're at least polite with God. We would never, really God, seriously, all of it. And then whatever we can dream he would not be surprised by that. Notice what it says next. According to his power that is at work within, what's the word? Us. To him be the glory in the, what? Church. So this verse is not about the boat, the house, the family, the career you always wanted. This is about what God can do, wants to do, is capable of doing, and will do through us. That's what this is about. The church and the church is not a building, it's not a structure, it's not a place you gather. You know this. And the scriptures, the church is the movement of Jesus through a community of people. One person is not the church. One person is a part of the church. The language of the Bible is the church is a body, it's living, it's got parts, members, it's a collective, it's not singular. I'll just do church on the beach. Actually, you won't. You'll disconnect from the church. doesn't mean you're not a part of the church. You're just not with the church. And so what the church is in the scriptures and 
just this collective community in and through which the way of Jesus is lived out. And Paul says, in that community, God is capable and able to do much more than you could ever imagine or even ask for, right? And the church asks for a lot of stuff. I mean, we do. Let me just, let me just bring you into our story. Uh, Father, we need another drummer. Oh, you laugh. But man, we're just killing our volunteers. I mean, we just need more people that can do it. We really pray, pray that, thinking that God will answer. Right? I was taught years ago that if you feel like your church needs something, it's there. God has already put those people in place. We just have to find it. Pray for it. Seek. Right? Father, we just need like another worker in the nursery so the babies don't die <laughs> on our watch. Right? <laughs> and God sees it and goes, it's so small. It's so small. Right? It's so small. Um, what's next? Next slide. With God, are things more or less? Are things more or less? This is the part of the sermon where I get to preach. Are you ready? Thank you. Bring it. That's what I was hoping for. This is what I want to say to you, and I want to read some of this so I don't miss it. But Paul is stressing in the, in the prayer that even in our most ambitious petitions, in, in our most visionary moments, that God is more. Period. And this prayer of Paul was and is an invitation to be in a relationship with God in such a way where you and I know and experience that truth. That's what his prayer is, that you and I could somehow connect with a God where we start to see this kind of thing happening, where we know and experience that reality, right? Now, I believe um, I mean, I've been your pastor for some time. I'll be going into my fourth, I'm in my fourth year. Um, love you guys, love this church. In fact, um, my wife and I have said multiple times, this is a, we'd actually go here even if I didn't work here. <laughs> so that is saying something. So, because most pastors, man, I'm done here? Sweet, see ya. Uh, but we love it here. We love this place and we love what could be. Uh, but I was told by a friend this past week, I, I didn't have a sermon for this Sunday um, because we had just finished Beyond Sunday, last Sunday, which I'll talk about in a second. And then we start Advent next Sunday. So this is kind of one of those days where, Lord, tell me what to talk about. And uh, they said to me, look, you can't just let, if you were here, were you here last week for Beyond Sunday? Awesome. Thank you. You can't just let that go and not talk about it and not talk about maybe what that means for us. Because we took this big, huge offering up last week for mission work. And at this point, we're over $60,000 and it just keeps growing and we're ready to give that away, which we will, all of it, every penny. And um, it's exciting. But I, I, my personality is, cool, that's done. Check, be on Sunday next week. Like, I just move on. Um, but I feel like maybe we should sit in that moment for a second, acknowledge that this took place, 
right? And, um, and then maybe, maybe that means something for us. But here's the pressing question, and again, refer to my notes here so I don't meddle. Um, a passage like Paul's begs the question for us, what does it mean to be a church that knows that with God there's more, not less? What does that mean? What does that look like for a church? What's funny you ask? I have some suggestions. Sundays. You're here, right? What if we came in this building on Sundays? This is not the church. We are the church. So what if we came into this space every Sunday, and this is on all of us, okay? And this is an ancient thing. This is not like the church dreamt this up 50 years ago and said, let's get together. They've always been getting together. God's people have always gotten together. In the Old Testament, we find just basic congregations of the Israelites getting together and singing and teaching and learning. It's the same. We've been doing it for thousands and thousands of years. So what if we came into this building on Sundays awake, (laughs) period, awake to the reality that we were entering into something that is more, not less immeasurably more. Think about that. This is about a God who is more and not less. Amen, brother. What if we came together on Sundays with that? What would that look like? Would you be here on time? I'm sorry if that hurts, but would you? Yeah. I went to see the Black Crows last night. Anybody a fan? Thank you. It's a good transition. Uh, Great show. Seen them twice. Uh, Proper Southern Rock. It's at the Tabernacle, a church, the future of most churches. It's a concert venue. Um, We get there an hour, you know, before the show. We walk a mile to get to the end of the line. What is that? I'll tell you what it is. It's not religion. It's a sense of expectation. Plus, it's general admission. We've got to get in. <laughs> Just like church. No assigned seating. Just, just a thought. It's expectation. It's going to be good. It's going to rock. And I still can't hear, but... I was here for sound check during worship. I'm like, really? Bring it. Come on, turn it up. I can't hear anything. <laughs> this side, gone. But what if we came together on Sundays like that? Like what? What would it sound like? What would it look like? Would it be more or less? Are you with me? Yeah. Community. Let's talk about relationships. What if when, like if you're in a community group, a number of you are, what if when you circled up in your home, that everyone knew, not just the leader and not just the host, but that everyone knew and understood that what was about to go down in that living room wasn't about anything less than a God who does more. What would community look like when it's happening around that kind of God? What if community with others was not up to anybody else, but it was up to us 
and it's an invitation to engage with the lives and the journeys of others spiritually. What, what does that look like? Does it end up being more or less? Does it end up being, you know, it wasn't that good? Or is it more? See, being the church is not just like taking up space, like I'm here. It's, it's being fully awake to a God who does more. Amen? What if, now we're getting, now we're getting serious, what if you went home after church or after work and you drove through your neighborhood and you passed by all those homes filled with people just like you? People have lives, kids, happiness, loneliness, struggles, struggling marriages, distressed finances, worries about tomorrow, all that. People just like you. What if when you made that daily pass by all those same houses that you did so with new eyes, that were open to what God can do and frankly wants to do through you in your community? What if you did that? Or when you punch in the gate code to your building and you walk through the courtyard or down the, uh, the quiet, lonely hallway to the door with your number on it, but you did that walk now with purpose and calling, knowing that God can do and frankly wants to do through you in your community. What does your neighborhood look like then? What does your building feel like at that point? What if God broke the silence, and I wish that he would sometimes, and spoke directly to you and said, the place where you live matters. You're not just taking up space with a number on the door. You're there for a purpose. And I want you to see them like I see them. What does it look like? Is it more or less? I hope you're catching the trend. It's never less. Never. What about this vision we have at church that I'm going to just confess to you is all but a dead idea to serve the city? I've, I've taken the point for 2011, like just leading the initiative because it's just kind of folded up. It's just an idea. It's just an idea. But what does it look like when we start to see serve the city, not less, but more? What if you did join one of those teams that Jessica got up here and just said, seriously, really, we need some help. We had a baptism first hour, right on, yes. One of our students, Jessica walked up to me after the service and said, that's the story right there. That's more, not less. What if you joined a serving team for the kids or the band or the lobby or wherever and when you joined up, it was this understanding that, yeah, you can only bring so much to the, to the thing. Hang on. You can only bring so much, but with God, he can do more. Like, how would you prepare for your lesson with the children at that point? Is it more or is it less? How would you tune your instrument? How would you speak to people in the lobby? How would you pray? How would you lead a group? Again, uh, last Sunday, we so cool we just you know the third year in a row we've done this big offering for mission work and really some of you may <laughs> i'm just guessing like maybe you're new with us and uh or maybe you're just old and not old but you're old members and uh it's okay if you're old i'm digging myself hang on let me just dig myself out here <laughs> oh look redemption okay uh 
you know, maybe, maybe we said from the stage and in the bulletin and through the mailings, look, our goal is 55 grand, and you, you had a pool going like, I put 20 bucks, I don't get 10, you know, and like, there's no way it's impossible, and then like this happened, you know, boom, more, more, more. It's the first Beyond Sunday, I went to lunch after the service, and I, did, I didn't care, I wasn't worried about it, because I really believed that it was going to be more. Not because I'm weird, and, or someone said something, or whatever, just, I just, it was okay. I just felt like, you know, we'd reached that point as a church where we've learned that God does immeasurably more. I don't have to guess that anymore. Um, I had to catch myself a few times. I mean, because again, we're, it's still growing and that's fine. Keep, keep coming. I mean, it all goes away. But I said out loud maybe too many times, how, how much longer is it going to be before we're giving away $100,000 to mission? I mean, how, what is that, next year? Two years? Is it this year? Derek, shh. But I have to remember that, you know, what if we gave away $100,000? Immeasurably more. Challenge. This may make no sense to you, and that's okay. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I've been your pastor for four years. I said this earlier. Um, we are entering our, and just so you know the trouble we had to go through to get this, we're entering our eighth year in February as a church. We could not figure this out. We're like, okay, 2004, 2000, no, 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 2004, 2005, that's one. We're like, it's seven, it's eight, it's nine. What is it? Eighth. Eighth year is coming up. Like, we'll enter the eighth year, uh, which means we'll finish the what, what year? I said what? What year? The seventh year. When you read the Bible, if you stumble across anything that says seven, it means something. Sometimes it's literal. Seven this, seven that. Sabbath was literal. Every seven days, rest, right? Sometimes it's figurative. It's just, it's pointing out that this is important. Uh, so anytime you see seven, it's very, very meaningful. It's very, it's, it's important for us to notice that. Do you know what, do you know how significant the number eight is? Nothing. Doesn't mean a thing. But what it actually means is, it means one. So I finished seven, one. So it's like a new seven. It's the start of a new seven, the second seven, if you will. John, in his gospel, records eight miracles of Jesus. The first few he numbers, water into wine. This was the first miracle of Jesus. And then he numbers the next one. This is the second one. So what is he doing? He's inviting us to count what's happening. First, second, this, is, this must be the third. This is the fourth. This is the fifth. This is the sixth. What's the seventh miracle that he records? It's Lazarus being raised from the dead. That's seven. What's eight? The resurrection of Jesus. Where does the resurrection happen? Anybody? In a garden. Remember, Mary thought he was the gardener. <laughs> Where have they put him? Jesus is right here. Uh, 
Resurrection, number eight, in a garden. What happened in a garden? Creation. Life. Newness. One. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Resurrection. New creation. It's the start of a new seven, so to speak, symbolically. Our church has been figuratively and symbolically in its Sabbath year. Just kind of seven. Just resting, doing, existing, chilling. But we enter eight. What does that mean? Well, literally nothing. It's just, but to me, like it has some power, like, oh, this is our second seven. In February, we will begin our second seven. So it, it's got a, we've, we've had our seventh year. Now we enter eight, which is one. <laughs> Thank you. And here we go. New, new creation, new life, something new, resurrection. Here we are back in the garden. Our church is really in my mind. Re, it's, it's re-upping, it's relaunching. It's We've rested, boom, here we go. What does it mean? What does that mean? for us. Well, I think, and you'll hear a lot about this in January, actually, I think it means more, not less. Now, this is not a preacher saying, we're going to build buildings, and, but that's not, that's, not, that's not what I'm talking about. I, I want to see more of God moving through us not less. Amen? That's what I'm talking about. Now, whatever that brings our way, how am I supposed to know what that is? It could be this. But it's more, not, not less. Let me just attach it to our vision, these four statements. We say, they're written on the wall in our office, to see God renew the hearts of people is our passion. So, for that one, my prayer is that more hearts will be changed by the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus. More, not less. Also on our wall is that we would be a community of love and care. So my prayer is that community, love, and care within our church will be not less, but what? More. Amen? Yeah, why would you want to be less that of that? We would like to be less loving and caring and community-driven. No, we want to be more. Uh, also on our wall, to serve the city as our vocation. It's the biggest project of 2011, really, in my opinion. My prayer is that our city is a better place because we serve it knowing that with God, more, not less. We have been tooling around the city over the last few weeks. I've been meeting with uh, ministries, organizations, shooting emails to principals of local schools. Tell us how much more we can do for you. Speak to us. Uh, also on our wall is to partner with God's work around the world is our, not burden, privilege. We experienced that last week when we all brought money that all gets given away to mission work. Like, that's our privilege. We get to do that. It's exciting. And my prayer is that stories of partnering with God's work around the world don't diminish, but they grow more, more, more. Are you with me? Eighth year, people. Here we come. More. Not less, more. Exciting stuff. I love this. Uh, Jesus, we'll close with this. Jesus says this to Nathaniel. Uh, Next slide. It's so simple. Recruits him as a disciple. Nathaniel is kind of 
like tripped out by just like Jesus. Like Jesus says something about Nathaniel's life, and Nathaniel's like, how did you know that? <laughs> I'm Jesus. How did you know that? That's amazing. And Jesus says, really? Okay, you will see greater things than that. And then he goes on to talk about how Nathaniel will get to see, it's cryptic language, but he will get to see Jesus die and raise again. That's what you'll get to see. And that's far greater than whatever you just saw. Do you get that? So I left last Sunday, finally got the email, the phone calls. This is what happened with Beyond Sunday. And that's the verse that first popped in my head. That's great, but you will see greater things than that. So in the words of Jerry Maguire, who's with me? Oh, it's not a joke. Who's with me? Yeah, yeah, that's good. We'll close it down with that. Um, I hope that you've learned something today. I hope that you've been challenged. But more than anything, I hope that you are encouraged and inspired to, to see your relationship with God as that, not like something less. And that as we gather as a church and do what we do and follow God's leading as a community, that we get to see that. Amen? We're going to close with uh, two things. Communion and offering all in one movement. And then we're going to sing together like we did last week. You guys just, I just, that was my favorite part of last week was just the worship. And, um, and so we're going to leave today uh, just singing out together. But uh, I'm going to pray, and then after I pray, you can move um, as a family or friends to one of the tables and take communion uh, together and then, uh, and then make it back to your seats, and then we'll sing, uh, we'll sing this thing out. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are more. Um, and thank you that even still you, you ask us to dream and, and to request and to bring our needs to you and even our um, ideas, our what-ifs. Thank you for that freedom. Thank you for the grace in that. But we just, we just sit here today just in, in, in shock of how much more you are and will do um, this church as in every church is just full of stories where you were more and more and more more grace more mercy more community more serving more life change so god help us uh, to see that to seek those things and to find them to celebrate them God, I pray for um, uh, just the remainder of our time together, just the few minutes that we have left, that you would just inspire us through the music and uh, as we sing out uh, our time together. Thank you for this reminder of your son, his life, his death, his resurrection, the hope of his return. Um, and until that day, we, every week together as a community, we, we remember that through the bread and the juice. So God, move in these moments. And we ask for more of you, immeasurably more. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.